answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining us today, for being part of the program. And... Um, Glad you are here with us as we are talking about financial matters, both myself and my co-host here. We're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We've essentially been practicing financial advisors for roughly three decades. And um, we meet with people probably just like you. Just like you. Similar to you. We've dealt with, with in 25 years of doing this radio program, we've dealt with just about any question imaginable when it comes to the realm of finances. And, of course, love taking calls during the program. Uh, and although this show is uh, – calls are pre-recorded here, um, anytime you'd like to join, just simply call the number that we've got, and we'll schedule a time to take your call and answer your question. Love to uh, – Makes it easy. Yeah, love to take your call. So to join Allworth's Money Matters, our contact number is 833-99-WORTH. And that'll get you on the program, 833-99-WORTH. And um, – And what? I just, the, 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 you know, I was having, um, actually had dinner with some a couple friends last night. I think that's allowed. I don't know, but. In a restaurant or in your In an home? actual restaurant. Oh, look at you, all fancy man. You know, it was interesting. It was, uh, and I, I know a lot of people have yet to go out to a, uh, a restaurant because the restaurants are fairly empty, even with the uh, empty tables they have. Yeah, well, they spread the tables like. I was in one restaurant 15. where it was, um. There was like cellophane around. There was like they built like three walls around each table, oh, of like plastic. I'm just glad we're not in that business. I feel so bad for oh. the restaurateurs, and I know a number of them. And I've t- I've had conversations, and they said it is between the unemployment, federal government unemployment, with the employees not coming back, and the social distancing, um, and the the fact that they can't put as many they people, can't. even when they were selling to go, <clears throat> what they didn't sell was the high margin things like sodas and oh, alcohol. Oh, the ancillary stuff. That's where the money is. Well, I bought a lot of to go food. I never bought a like a steak to go. It's just not quite the same. You know, you get it home, what are you going to stick in the microwave and reheat it for thirty seconds? Yeah, <laughs> but but in it, but when you sell to go food, people don't buy a soda, which costs them no, their food did. cost or no. six. That's a supermarket. 6% versus 31% or 28%. Although a lot of them would have like wine deals. You get it. Yeah, wine to have. struggling. Yeah. That's anyway, right. so you were at this restaurant. Did you have fun? Yeah, yes. But my, my point was we were having a discussion about the financial markets. And they're like, Scott, I don't get it. Why are the markets up so much? And so first of all, I'm not. I, I'm interested. I, why? I, I'm not clairvoyant. <laughs> but uh, we, we just, we start talking about it. It's a, and. Two of the, one was a CEO of a of a smaller company. One was a CEO of a eh, smaller, both founders, and then um, a couple hundred employees. Is that yeah, smaller? Yeah, okay. correct, exactly. And uh, so we're talking, and I we, we, as we're chatting. Not that all my, <laughs> not that I just hang out with a bunch <laughs> right. of CEOs. By the way, <laughs> I've got friends of many different fields. So, um, but we're having this conversation, and we really start talking about what. The, where, where else are you going to put your money right it's now? It's lack of alternatives. I mean, the real estate market, the commercial real estate market, looks a little fraught with... what? It, when you have Starbucks saying they're going to renegotiate all of their leases... Right, and no one knows what office buildings look like. No one knows. So even Retail, theaters, hotels, restaurants, all of that. Who travel knows? Travel industry. Travel. Who knows? I mean, I have not a... Interest rates are so low, right? And so I think what happens is people say, "Look, these companies maybe they're having a short-term blip, but 
Longer term, there's still companies, good companies, they're going to figure out how to navigate through this. And that's why I think investors have bid the stock market back. And, and Scott, so if you look at the yield on the S&P 500, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Let's say it, it it's about 2.2% right now. It's still that high? Even after the uh, rebound? Yeah, it's probably well, that, whatever. Let's call it 2%. 2%. Even if it comes down- That's historical. That's, there's no guarantees that the dividends are going to occur next quarter. That's right. Even if it comes down by a quarter, which is- 1.5%. Yep, right. Or even down to one and a quarter percent. It's still better than the 10-year treasury or a lot of high-quality corporate bonds. And you're like, well. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, that's a big reason. And if this isn't any reminder that you can't predict short-term market swings, yeah, the, I don't know what is. The market. By the way, if you haven't gone out to a restaurant, I would encourage you to do so to keep the poor people. I had a friend call me who we do not manage his portfolio, by the way. He called me the other day and said, I talked to him six weeks ago, and he pulled everything out of the market. And I said, you're playing a dangerous, dangerous game here to try to predict where this is going to go. So he called me last week. He said, should I get back in? I said, well, six weeks ago. I told you didn't take you. my advice then. Why am I advising it good now? Yeah, I'm like, this is a dangerous game. You got to be right, not only when to get out, but when to get back in. Yeah. <clears throat> and it only looks good when things are back up. Yes. Although, in reality, when prices are down, everything else in life, when things are on sale, you want to buy more of. And when they go up in price, you want to buy less of. But yeah. investments are different in that way because people tend to, um, whatever, whatever's recently happened, they project that into the future but you, you think how hard it is you're 55 60 65 you've stored your labor for all these years and then you Company see savings a, plan or mutual funds your or, 401k and then all of a sudden you see 25 percent or 15 oh. wiped away one day well that's why having the right kind of plan ahead of time having the right sort of asset allocation and if you've been listening to this program for a while we, we've been stating look we, if you look at the last 20 years, we had the dot-com blow up with followed by 9-11, so that major downturn. We had the great financial crisis, and we've stated you should plan on something else, another downturn of this magnitude in the future. Just If it doesn't happen, wonderful. But yeah, Who knows what it will be? And here, it, who would have expected a pen? Who knows what it will be next time? What will cause a downturn in the market? Falling meteor. Could be. I don't know. Who knows? I know. You can spend your whole life worrying about what might happen tomorrow. All right. Let's uh, take some calls here. Let's start with Linda. Linda, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi. How are you? We're well. How are you doing, Linda? Good. Yeah. Um, my question was to you both was um, my husband, when this all started happening, he was advised by somebody to, uh, we're like just nearing 60. And we had our money in a 401k, and he took it all out and put it in a money market within the, you know, the, the account 401K. that we have with our advisor. Oh, yeah. oh, wait, wait. So he took it out of the 401k and moved it to the advisor. He didn't do it in, in the money market. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't within do it inside the 401k. Account. He did it to an advisor. So he rolled We're it confused. into an IRA. I'm not really sure because I'm not very smart with it all, but I think it's within the 401 account. Got okay. it. And okay. who recommended that he yeah. get out of all his investments? And Well, he didn't. My son did because my son was in the banking um, for a time, and he you know, thought this was going to be you know, cataclysmic. So he said, take your money out because he had already lost so much already. Okay. Within the, a couple of days. So he said to be safe to take it all out. And what's your question for so us? My question, excuse me? What's your question for us? Oh, my question is so now, in, because it's in that money market account, I guess it gets like 5% or something. Half a um, percent? Yeah. Point Half five. a percent. Yeah. If you can get 5% yeah. risk free, take it, but it didn't exist yet. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're getting probably yeah. half a percent. Um, I don't know. I think it's a little more than that. Well, I doubt it. But anyway, when do you go back into when? When would you have them put it back into different I, things? So, look, if you were my sister, I would yeah. say you guys need to hire a financial advisor and come up with a financial okay. plan first, a retirement and financial okay. plan. Because I imagine at some point in time you want to retire, right? That these dollars are for. So yeah. kind of start backwards from there because. 
What ends up happening oftentimes, Linda, is people will view their investments as money that they need today. And maybe you're obviously approaching retirement. You're nearing your 60s. But even if you were to retire today, you're not going to spend your 401k in your first year of retirement. Some of it's going to be around 10, 20 years from now. And if we think, well, Well, if it's going to be... In our case, we had a, my son had a gambling problem and he, he mortgaged, he worked in a bank and he mortgaged our house and took all our money. This was just a few years back. So we're like starting off like you, from the beginning. Okay. So my husband got really scared, you know, he got the same son that really, that told you to go to the money market. Yeah. Okay. So you, he might you, be a wonderful, he might be phenomenal. <laughs> We're all complicated people, right? So I'm sure he's a great person. This one area of his life and finances, maybe not the. You, you, you most certainly need a financial advisor, given the information well, that you I'm gave us. You because I get really scared because because you don't have a good plan in place. Being given, you you exactly. you're not getting advice. You're 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 getting less than advice. You're getting bad advice, yes. which is better than no, which yeah. is worse than no advice at all. Exactly, um, which makes me feel frightened, you know, really scared. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you need, it, it, truly, whether it's our firm or someone else's, someone that is yeah. not trying to sell you a product, someone that is going to charge you a fee to give you financial advice that says, mm-hmm. this is how you have to do it, right? Because you're, right. You're, what, right, you're in dire straits right now. Yeah. Because you have a large mortgage on your home, you're approaching retirement, and you're getting advice that is probably not that sound. No, it's not at all. So you need to pay an advisor a fee to give you a financial plan, and then you need to follow it. And I, if I were you, I'd visit with two, maybe three different advisory firms. And say, how can you help me? And say, and say, how can you help me? And typically the way it works is they'll meet with you for an hour for free and give you a couple, okay. four or five ideas and then say, okay, we're going to dig into this. And then well, that, that meeting price. is usually to get to know each other to one to, for you to learn how they might be able to help you. And for two, for them to see if they can in fact help you. Right. And or want to, yeah, yeah. or want to, you sound right. like a nice person, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, um, and I feel... I, I, I try to be honest, but... <laughs> no, I feel bad for you. I mean, I feel... T- so I, it, I have it, seen this... I have oh, seen yeah. this three times in my career where children with... Well, not only children, but spouses with gambling... Five times. <laughs> I'm thinking about spouses with gambling problems um, yeah. where they've blown up the financial yeah. security in retirement because of a gambling problem. It's a problem. It's yeah. It's, you yeah. know... It's an it's, addiction it's like anything else. People after that happens, you know. It's, That's right. It's hard to, it's hard to trust anybody when it's somebody in your own family that could just devastate you financially with no regard, you know, for your future. Well, so the, it's really difficult to trust anybody. And I, I have a hard time. I'm usually on the back door knocking on doors because I don't trust my my husband loves his son and doesn't want to see. Well, that's why you pay a fee to. They are, you know. That's why you want to pay a fee to an advisor so that they don't have a dog in the fight. Um, And they may end up managing the money. They may not end up managing the money, but they'll disclose that at the beginning. But you, quite frankly, need your husband and you to sit down in a room with a financial advisor slash counselor um, to work through this. Yeah. So yeah. sorry to hear that. So uh, uh, in terms of getting back into the market, if I would just give you some basic right now, I'd say move back in with 25% of it today, but you've got much bigger issues than I'd whether to the, go to the market. I, I, you, you get the right, the plan together first and then, but there are strategies. Yeah, as Pat, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. And as Pat said, I mean, ways to do it. Typically you don't want to just jump back in. Invariably, whenever you buy a stock or go into a stock fund, the market's going to fall the next day. I don't know if that's actually yeah. statistically correct, but it just feels that way, right? So as soon as you put something money yeah. in, it's in doubt, the next day it's going to go down and you're going to go crazy. So uh, oftentimes the strategy will be to slowly get back in to develop a plan, what's known as dollar cost averaging, where you say, all right, let's take, as Pat said, let's put 25% in today. Three months from now, let's put another 25% in, or you can do it 
spread it out over 12 months, but, or you can do it over 24 months. Or, But the, the mortgage on your home, the debt that you owe uh, because of the decisions that you made is a bigger concern to me than in the market, yeah. out of the market. You so need, it's really yeah. getting the right plans. Like, all right, how do how do how do we get Linda and her husband back on a path so that they have some financial security, so that one day if they either want to retire or forced into retirement, they've got financial options available to them. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about yeah. too. Yeah, right. you know, as you get older, you can see, yeah. you know, yeah. your husband getting tired, and he works all the time, so. I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do that. Well, and roughly half of us get forced into retirement earlier than planned, either to a a health issue for ourselves or a health issue of a loved one or um, a change in our employment. Yeah. All right, Linda, we wish you well. I'm glad you called. Well, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, you know what? By the way, financial advisor. We all have, we all have, um, we all have Life, relatives. We all have complicated lives. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do we all? You know, yeah, I know. <laughs> when you look at your neighbors and sometimes, sometimes everything looks all rosy and all that, but we, Yeah, we you dig have, in, uh, you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. One day at a time. And we're complicated right? humans. I mean, it's kind of the part of the thing that yeah. makes... It, it's, one of, it's the part that makes humanity ugly and the part that makes humanity beautiful i think well as i always like to say everything yeah. works perfect until you involve people yeah well on paper it looks it's so true perfect yeah. all right yeah. appreciate and you the have call to be really big on forgiveness you know oh it, that is <laughs> well listen that is a that yeah. it, it, more for yourself than for the people that yeah, you give two, it to two days ago i was in the yeah. car with my kids and i said <laughs> forgiveness is a gift to yourself yes it's more for you yeah. than for them it is no question it really is yeah. 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 all right linda yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. Wish, thank you. Thank you. Wish you well. Okay. Bye. No one sorry. likes uh, forgiveness. Gets rid of the anger. No one likes angry people. No one likes a bitter advisor. Because <laughs> <laughs> your financial is all bitter. What? No. How do you think I feel? <laughs> you got your problems. Hear about mine. <laughs> now that wouldn't be good. All yeah. right, <laughs> let's uh, continue. Uh, calls here eight three three ninety nine worth is our number to get uh, on the program. We're talking to Jim in Ohio. Jim, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi guys, thanks Hi, for taking my call. Thank you. So I am in the process. My wife and I are in the process of, of moving, and we're we purchase a second uh, a, another home. I shouldn't say a second home. Um, we're trying to sell our existing home, but we have not sold it yet. And we're at the point where we, we have to make the down payment and finalize the, the mortgage on the new home that we're purchasing. Um, I'd like Did to Did you get buy the new? All right, so you're buying a new home. You've entered into escrow, but you've yet to sell your existing house. Is that what's going on? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And on the new home, it's not contingent and you're buying it regardless. That's correct. Okay. Okay. The home that you're and selling. So- this little background. The home you're selling, what's that worth? Um, it's about three twenty-five. How long has it been on the market? Uh, not even thirty days. Okay. Okay. And what's the mortgage balance on that? Uh, about one hundred and thirteen thousand. Okay. Okay. And the home you're buying, what's the value? It of that? is about three hundred five. Okay. And um, I I don't want to have a payment greater than the mortgage payment that I have today. Um. I'm paying about $1,200 a month, which is well within my means. Um, but I don't want to really extend that anymore if I don't have to. Right. Okay. Sounds like a lateral so move. I, so. Yep. Um, I do have um, some liquid investments, non-401k, um, that I can sell. Um, but to get to the rough payment amount, I, I need about $105,000 to cover closing costs and down payment. So I, I need to find about sixty dollars or $70,000 more out of the investments that I, I can sell and, and so I'm wait, wait, about wait, 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 wait. What should I do? Yeah. 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 Slow for a second. Why do you need 105000 Uh to, to cover closing costs and then to get a 30-year mortgage at the, the rate that I have down to a similar payment as what I'm making today. And so how big, is the, how big is the mortgage? Let's assume that you sold your existing house at the same time and it all worked out beautifully. How big would your, your yeah. the mortgage be on the new house? Um, it would only be... Around one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Okay. So seventeen thousand more than what you're. No big deal. Yeah. Okay. Have you looked? Have you looked at a, a mortgage where you can do a one-time reamortization? 
So in other words, you I have not. The the new mortgage is let's call it two hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and then or two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and then you do a reamortization, which means that you actually can pay down on it, and then take the remaining balance and spread it out over that thirty year period. Okay. So let's say you had a mortgage of yeah, two hundred seventy thousand. That was the balance, or whatever's high, whatever the maximum you can get out of this thing, and you have to float that for a couple months. Then you sell your existing house, the old house. You take that cash, you apply it against the mortgage. It puts the mortgage balance down back down to one hundred and thirty, which you were looking at, and then you tell the mortgage company, "Hey, figure out the payments the rest of these thirty years based upon my current balance of one hundred and thirty thousand." And if that isn't available to you, you could do a first and second on a new purchase. They used to call them piggyback loans. I think you still can. It used to be. Are you working with a mortgage broker now? I am, yes. What 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 options have they given you? Um they they really haven't. I I just kind of looked for a traditional mortgage and um I told them, you know, I hadn't sold my existing home and so I wouldn't have the money to put down um and they just recommended a 30 year because that's obviously a lower payment. All right, so you're you're trying to come up with $105,000. And you said you had some liquid uh, investments outside of your 401ks. How much do you have in cash today? Like you, you without yeah. selling anything. I have more than enough to pay to, to, if I, if I took it all out in just stocks and, and bonds, if I took it all out, I, I could cover that amount. How much do you have in stocks and bonds? Um, about 140. Okay. So in how what, much of that's in bonds? Um, it's in some a couple of funds, but about thirty to thirty-five. Okay. Well, okay. that's easy. You just liquidate those on the stocks. The bonds, yeah, on the bond side, they're not paying much interest not, anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're not. It's it's a lateral move. The stock what do you, what side, do you, you can the, get a what mark. Do you ha, what do you have in the four hundred one k? My four hundred one k has got about four hundred and fifty, oh. but I I don't plan on touching that. Yeah, yeah, but this is easy. This is really really easy. So if you can't go the mortgage route, you could do two different things, and I would probably do them both. I take a margin account on my stocks, which you could borrow up to 50%, depending upon the brokerage firm, of the stock value. You could just borrow yep. that against the stocks without liquidating the stocks, and that way you don't actually have— We're not big fans of margin investing, by the way, but there are times when you've got a— there's a very short-term loan you need. I did it to buy a home. I did a margin on my own account to buy a home because I knew cash was coming in at a certain period of time and I needed to get to it and I didn't want to pay capital gains to liquidate my equities. So I did a margin on my own my own investments to do this. Very similar to you. So you have a couple different things that you and, can do. And further, you can take a $50,000 loan on the 401k. I would do that first before the margin. Scott, under the CARES Act, he could do $100,000 and pay it off over three years. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. I did talk to my broker about borrowing on more on margin, and he said it was about a five percent rate with that, what they're offering. It, it doesn't. Yeah, but you well, like, okay. And by the way, you can get it lower than that. Just tell them you wanted it four percent. But that's a different well, story maybe, altogether. Um, may not be a large enough account for that low of rate. But uh, so you, I would go two. I would go to this thing two different ways. One, I would actually uh, margin that, and then I'd borrow the rest out of my four hundred one k. I'm trying to think that can the four the hundred thousand it's you it's you can pay spread the taxes out over three years. It doesn't give you thirty six months to pay it back. There's still the sixty day. You have a sixty day. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But that's one other option is to take a withdrawal, and you've got sixty days to put the and, money back. And by the way, your if your house isn't is it getting a lot of activity at your existing home at three and a quarter? Is it getting? Yeah, lower? I mean, we we may have to lower the price, but we're okay. Very well, that was the that that's what I I was going to go to. If is I that, were if, you, here's what I would do, and you need to come up with how much cash? About about sixty to sixty five thousand. I would sell the thirty thirty to thirty five thousand dollars in bonds. That's half of it, and then I'd borrow thirty thousand thirty five thousand for my four hundred one k. That's right, and then you have sixty days to pay. Then it there's back. no tax consequences. I mean, you're going to be negligible on the bonds. That way, you're not forced to sell any equities. And lower the price of the house that you're selling. Because the reason it's not selling is it's overpriced. Well, it's been on the market 30 days. I sold a house in... Okay, but the, I mean, I don't know. Okay. He's in Ohio. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. All right. I shouldn't speak to something I don't <laughs> know about. But I just, sold, I just sold a house. I lowered 
the price. You just sold a house. Yeah, I just sold a home. Oh. It's an escrow right now. It's supposed to close by the end of the month. I'm going to actually go over and start cleaning it up <laughs> right sad. after the show today. If you want to know what I'm Hands doing. That's why Pat's dressed the way he is in the studio today. <laughs> Can I ask real quick why that would this option would be better than the one-time amortization that you mentioned earlier? So I would try the one-time amortization, but they may not be yeah. available to and, you. Yeah, they're not, okay. not, not every loan works that way. Um, and I don't know what percentage do at this point in time, and I don't know what other restrictions are there and what the rate's going to be like. Okay. So this, but there's a, we gave you three different techniques you could try here. I would start there first. That's where the first place I would go. The second place I would go was liquidate the bonds and then margin the account. And the third place I would go is to borrow out of the 401k. Scott thinks that you should do it 401k number two bonds. We have a little bit of you know, a different opinion, but Six it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, appreciate the call. We're taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with calls. We're also going to have Andy Stout, the chief investment officer of Allworth Financial, talking about what the heck's going on with these markets. Stick around for more Allworth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen here. Pat McLean. Glad you are taking part in our program. And um, as always, good having so if, um listening. If you're listening to this on a podcast, if you would be so kind as to rate this. Um, Give us a review. That's what they call and <laughs> share it with um, a friend if you have friends that like this sort of thing. That's right. I share lots of podcasts. Actually, mostly, I do with, too. mostly with my children. I shared one with a friend, and he told me, he, he said he listened to it, he thought it was kind of slow. I'm thinking, I think it was a hidden brain podcast. I'm thinking, well, you want a bunch of music, and what, what do you want? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a serious I, topic. And an in- <laughs> I do enjoy the hidden brain podcast. And you know what? Um, one of my favorites, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, which he comes out with this every year in July, in June, and just came out with his. Um, I haven't listened. I to listened it to it this morning driving in uh, to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. It's one of my favorites. He's, he's just he thinks so differently than just about anybody. He's an interesting guy. The things that he finds fascinating, I don't know. No one. Yeah, I do enjoy that, and how I built that. You ever listen to yes, that? Yes, yes, I built that Entrepreneurs. Guy Raz. Guy Raz. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can listen to some of the same stuff, same stage in life, all that stuff. Anyway. So, uh, but, but, but the point being is we promoted three other podcasts uh, in the last two minutes. We'd like to promote our own. Uh, so, uh, is that what this is about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> More people listen. The better it is for us, Scott. That's a, that's what I've heard. Is that right? Yes. I think this you're probably right. It's pretty purely basic. selfish that we're asking you <laughs> to share and to review. All right. Let's uh, go to the calls here. 833-99-WORTH. We're in Arkansas with Luke. Luke, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hey, guys. Hi, Luke. Hey. Um, so I've got a question. Uh, my family is growing from uh, two kids to three, so we're getting a larger home, and uh, I need to come up with about twenty-five thousand for a down payment. And my question is, should I use my funny money, uh, just cash that's uh, with a broker right now, or should I take a four hundred one k loan um, against my my four hundred one? This is very similar to the last well, call we had. What is but, funny money? <laughs> what is twenty? You have twenty five thousand of money funny that money. I don't want in the bank. I want it to be working for me, but I can live without it. So here is all right. So I, I, I clearly like the idea of you taking some money that you've been taking some speculative bets on. It sounds like, and taking those dollars and use for your down payment. Using the four hundred one k, the challenge I. And our last caller, we suggested a 401k loan, but it's going to be a very short period of time. As a rule, I can't stand 401k loans because here's what happens when you do a 401k loan. A number of things. First of all, you start viewing your retirement as some sort of piggy bank that can be accessed today. That's probably the worst thing about it because 
I think it's important that people treat their retirement dollars kind of as sacred dollars because the fact is, assuming we're fortunate enough to live to our 60s and 70s and 80s, there's going to be a time in life when we're going to need to have money to provide our basic income needs because we're no longer going to be able to work. Right? That's reality. Maybe you really want to retire at 55 or whatever. But the, the concept is retirement dollars, my opinion, they sh- our opinion, they should be viewed very sacred and last re- absolute last resort. Uh, touching retirement dollars. I'd rather see people go through bankruptcy, frankly, before they touch their 401k. And then if you choose to take a loan on it, what ends up happening? Let's say you have $100,000 in your 401k. Let's assume it's all in in equities, in stocks, right? Let's say it's 100% in stocks. And you take a $25,000 loan out against that. It, when you take the loan, you're not really borrowing against $100,000 worth of securities. They will They will go in and sell... $25,000 of securities and just merely treat this as a loan. So you're not really, it's not like taking a home equity loan on your house where the house is still all intact. Because you liquidate your position. Or taking a margin loan on a, on a securities account. You're literally liquidating the position. So you're taking the money out of the market. Right. And then the funds need to be re- repaid. And if you ever go to transition employment, either voluntarily, you find a better job or involuntary, you lose your job. Those, those dollars need to be repaid typically within 12 months. And if they're not repaid, they're treated as a taxable uh, distribution to you with early withdrawal penalties as well. Now, how much money do you have in this funny money account? Uh, 36,000 as of today. All right. Just, yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Either liquidated or margin half of it. I would not margin it. You need it for I down agree. payment. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Just liquidate that. And yeah. if you want those same positions, well, I'm not going to go there. I was going to say a self-directed brokerage account inside of his 401k, but you probably shouldn't play there with funny, what you call funny money. How much is, how old are you, Luke? I'm 27. How oh, you're young. Good for you. And do you own a home now? Yes. And what are you going to do with this home that you're living in now when you buy a new one? Um, it's on the market, and we have a couple okay. offers we're looking at. Good. Oh, perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, just right, liquidate, liquidate that brokerage account to get to the twenty. So he's grand. he's having his third kid, and he's got thirty some thousand saved up in a. And he's twenty seven. Funny market. And what do you and do you for live a living? In Arkansas. And what do you do for a living, Luke? Uh, I'm an engineer at a nuclear plant. I was waiting for that. Can I engineer? ask a real quick question? So yeah. I have right now. I do seventeen percent to my 401 from my paycheck and that's a total of 23 when I get my company match so they they match six. Uh-huh. Should I be should I really be off all full bore on my 401 and not yes. with my um capital gains, you know, with my with my broker? Should, or should no, I no, 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 no. Oh, your full full bore, full bore on the 401. What's your day? what's your annual income? Um 100 before um, like a 20K incentive, usually. I'd put full bore in the 401K. I would look at, um, you might be putting in, well, you're, I'd look at your taxes. You could be at the point where you are putting so much in your 401K, you're pushing yourself from a 22% tax bracket into a 12% tax bracket. And if that's the case, I would either use a, I'd use the Roth option for a portion of your contributions. But that takes some, yes, yeah, so you got to do some planning with that. And That's what he's doing. He's and an your engineer. Third, your third kid is on the way, right? Yes, sir. The later July. So it actually, I would run the taxes on this. I, 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 because you might be putting in more on the pre-tax than I would recommend. But your point being is not to the broker. Use the four hundred one k and use the Roth option. Yeah, and your employer might provide a a what's called a brokerage window where. You can actually set up a brokerage account within your 401k. Not that it's going to yield you any better results long term. Might. Yeah, that's. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, you're quite the responsible right. yeah. young man. Yeah, 27. Responsible. Three kids. Yeah, this like. Uh, right. Guys, I, I really appreciate your time. All right. All right. <laughs> we wish you well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Glad you called there. So, hey, we're, we're going to take a transition now and talk with our chief investment officer here at Allworth Financial. Um, and Andy Stout's joined us in the past, and he's, if you subscribe to our newsletter, our free newsletter comes out each week, uh, I think it's once a month, Andy will have a, um, 
kind of a longer article talking about economic issues and the financial markets and our take on those sort of things. And um, it's always good to have him on. So, Andy, uh, welcome to All Worth Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, glad you are here. And are you... I think when I talked to you earlier in the week, you were supposed to be on, going on vacation I somewhere. thought he was on vacation. Are you on vacation? Oh, no, not yet. Uh, I will be heading out here this weekend. Okay, because— Going down to Hilton Head, South Carolina. Okay, and you're in Ohio now. I'm glad uh, because I, I like to make sure that people take time off, and I think I'm hoping I'm not having you work during your time off. <laughs> well, I'll have my laptop with me, so All I'm right. sure— we'll, we'll be working, but we'll have plenty, plenty of downtime, that's for sure. So— um, What's your what's your take on the financial on the yeah, stock market? Explain right now? it to us. Uh, well, the stock market obviously it's been a little bit all over the place, right? So we saw the large cap stock, the S and P five hundred, fall about thirty four percent from what, February nineteenth through March twenty third, and then obviously officially uh, we're in a recession now, thanks to the National Bureau of uh, Economic Research declaring that. Uh, and that was a, a very, very quick drop. But what's happened since March 23rd? Well, near about a 40% rally since then. Wow. So the market right now is really driven by two things. Okay. It's driven by. Well, let me stop back. Let me just step. Let's hold. Just kind of, yep. When you put these numbers in perspective, because things were happening so quickly, and most people were focused on their world being shut down. My work shut down. Some people that meant lost employment. Some people meant working from home, uh, not being able to see loved ones, uh, concerns about health. And I think early on, it was still a little like, how bad is this going to be? All those things. In the midst yeah. of that, the stock market fell 34%. Most people thought this was terrible, but I'm not going to make any changes. And then it rallied up about 40% since that time. So had you been clairvoyant and bought at the bottom of that time, you would have had a 40% return in a matter of weeks. And unfortunately, had you sold out at the bottom, you just missed a 40% recovery. Yeah, so it was very, very quick. So right now, after this recovery, you know, the question is, what's driving it? I mean, we're still, we're still shut down. We're still, I mean, we're opening, we're reopening. So that's a good thing. But there's still concerns out there. And there's two things that are driving the market right now. It's anything coronavirus, any sort of news related to that, uh, and we can talk about that, but also the Federal Reserve and monetary policy. So whenever Fed Chair Jerome Powell, uh, who is the uh, chair of the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve is our nation's central bank responsible for setting short-term interest rates, and they do a bunch of other things, too, to try to juice the economy. And they've been very involved, uh, really trying to get – everything, I want to say going again because we're shut down, but really supporting the economy until this reopening uh, gets a more firm footing. So um, in saying that, when we opened the show today, we talked about lack of alternatives. Is that driving the market? Well, I think it's just the, I, I think it's more just people want something that'll go up. And then when, uh, so like risk assets, like stocks, but when things get nervous, you see a lot of computer programs, these algorithms, they read the headlines when certain things come out. I mean, we saw it last today and also the last couple of days where hospitalization rates in Texas are increasing. You, you see immediately uh, the market react to that. And it's very, very short term. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are algorithms that will go and scan headlines, look for positive or negative news, and then make trades based upon the, just the headlines? All in the less time it takes you to blink your eye. Yeah. Wait, and how do they know it's not fake news? <laughs> <laughs> how the well, uh, we need an algorithm that tells us what fake news is. Yeah. Well, they're smart. They, can, they learn from it. So they'll uh, see what worked in the past, and they'll actually look at the sources as well. And maybe weight some sources heavier than others when making these trades. And how big are these? Uh, this is all relatively new to me. I mean, I've read, I, mean I, I understand a lot of these, but I didn't. Know, I understood that they existed. I didn't know that they were that sophisticated. How, how much? Like, is it billions of dollars? Quant shops, are these quant shops. Like, are they billions of dollars that they're? And are they using straight purchases? Are they doing puts, calls, shorts, or all of the above? 
A lot of times it'll be in the futures market, okay. and they will uh, do these trades uh, on the indexes themselves, like uh, on futures contracts. Right. But it's, it's a lot of money. And what do you think about uh, the Fed buying corporate bonds in order to backstop bonds? Which is essentially – in a bond is just a, a, a name that we give on a certain structure of a loan. Right? You're loaning right. money to a corporation. Yeah. Allworth Financial, for example, if we so chose to, we could say we're going to have our own bonds, just like uh, Bank of America has bonds and Wells Fargo. and those. So we could have our own bonds. And if you buy a bond of a company, you're essentially loaning that company money. And that bond is then traded in the secondary market. So people buy and sell that loan to each other that they've loaned the money to a said corporation. Then, so back to your question, Pat. Why is the Fed buying corporate bonds? So it's not unusual for the Fed to buy their own bonds, right? Government yeah. bonds. But we've never really seen them walk into the marketplace and buy municipal bonds or corporate bonds to backstop those, which is to bring liquidity to the marketplace. To, to, right. What do you think about that? I, I'm I'm really torn by that. Yeah. Well, I want to say say one thing first. You said it wasn't unusual. It was unusual until 2008 in the financial crisis. The Fed had never really gone even bought treasury bonds, and they started to do that, and they bought trillions of dollars uh, worth of that. Now, since the past three months, they've been buying trillions of dollars more of treasury bonds and also some mortgage-backed bonds as well. And to your point or to your question, now they're dipping the toe in the corporate bond market. So what happened was really around the 10th or the 10th of March, give or take a couple of days, the corporate bond market just completely froze up. You could not go and sell a bond or issue a bond if your life depended on it. And many of these corporations' life did depend on it. What What's going on is the Fed is coming in saying, hey, they first said we're going to buy funds that hold corporate bonds. Yeah, exchange-traded funds. Uh, they were yeah. stepped in the market, and they didn't even care what bond they were buying. They just bought funds Baskets. just in order to keep liquidity in the market to stop the 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 bond market or money markets from freezing up which happened in 2008 yeah so essentially they wanted to shore up the liquidity so trading could happen and because when that liquidity happened in the market itself there was no trading that uh, was fell in other areas that's when he's called the, the most violent moves in the stock market as well and that's when people were worried about whether or not uh, how, what this effect is going to be on companies. And that's when you saw you know, bankruptcy risk really increase. And by the Fed stepping in, actually, they didn't really step in that much. By the Fed at least saying they're going to step in, that shorted up. They haven't actually bought that much, but their words were powerful enough to where people decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and front run the Fed. I want to go ahead and buy what they're going to buy because they're going to end up raising the price on things. The Fed really hasn't bought that much. It's only been a few billion dollars worth. I didn't say billion like it's nothing. But for what the Fed was looking at spending in terms of trillions of dollars, they've barely done anything. It just shows you how powerful their words are. Wasn't this something similar uh, happened in the financial crisis in March of uh, 08? But they never stepped into well, they stepped into the money market funds, did they not? No, there was, I'm trying to remember what trigger. There was a trigger date right at the bottom of the market. That um... well, the Fed got into. I think you're probably referring to the municipal bond market. It was what's called auction rate securities. Uh, that kind of happened a little bit earlier uh, in the 2008 crisis, where the essentially local governments they used what's called auction rate securities to finance their day-to-day operations, and they weren't able to do this, and that raised the risk that these local governments and municipal bonds uh, usually don't see as much bankruptcy risk as corporate bonds, but that certainly raised the risk, and that's when you had the Fed uh, step yeah. in there. So but really, if you, look at, if you look at the financial crisis, what the, the, the bottom of the stock market was, was triggered basically f- through Fed action, and we saw the same thing this time around, right? Oh, when the Fed stepped in, when you yeah. say the bottom, it turned. Correct. Scott, it turned. So the Fed said, well, you've heard the old saying, never fight the Fed, right? Right. So, Andy, what's but, the chances that the Fed actually steps into the stock market? Well, it's, it's possible. I mean, I, I, it's probably unlikely at this point in time. I don't think they want to go down that path. But we've seen it with Bank of Japan. 
you know, they have been buying exchange traded funds that hold uh, stocks to, you know, help support, you know, I don't want to say support the markets, but essentially to provide liquidity and make sure things function smoothly. So it's not unprecedented. I, I doubt it's on the, it would be at the bottom of the list of what the Fed wants to but, do. But, I mean, there's some other things they would do first before they go down that path. But when they were looking to do a bailout for Boeing, weren't they going to take warrants in the company? And they, in fact, did actually end up owning some of AIG's stock during the last uh, financial crisis, did they not? Well, yeah, so during AIG, and we saw some similar things with uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, where essentially they be, they became nationalized. On AIG, they had the biggest loss ever by a U.S. corporation in a quarter, uh, and it just, just was completely decimated. And the thing about AIG, the real risk there was if you have an insurance company go under, that has ripple effects everywhere. I mean, insurance companies don't not pay, you know, the, the life insurance uh, when, when someone passes on. So the risk of that happening, which could essentially turn the whole insurance industry on its head and pretty much make almost any insurance at least questionably worthless, uh, that that really raised the risk uh, for the broad market. And you had the government step in to, you know, bail out AIG and also bail out you know, so, but that wasn't the Federal Reserve's decision. That was that was the, the that, Congress. Yeah. So back right. to Boeing. Did they take warrants in Boeing? And, and warrants are the ability to actually convert this so, stock. Andy knows that answer. I don't know. He knows that answer. Uh, does Maybe. he? I don't know. He's really super smart. <laughs> He's smarter than we are. On these matters, I, I haven't seen if they have taken those warrants or not. I I read the articles yeah. where they were looking at it. But I haven't seen that on the, the Fed's balance sheet. I was looking at their balance sheet the other day. Um, so there might be something a little out there, but I haven't seen it. So you st- on the start of this, you talked about we're in a recession now, which is a big shock to everybody, right? I mean, how do you shut down the economy and not have a recession? Um, how often is the stock market correlated with a recession? Because you know, if we think about prices of companies – Mm-hmm. whatever companies they are, it's really based upon people's view of their future earnings, right? Um, and the right. better the earnings they believe are going to happen in the future or can talk themselves into what they believe is going to happen in the future, the more they'll push up the price. And so a recession, obviously, you look at a recession and think, oh, earnings are going to be bad. Uh, but what's the correlation been historically between stock market and recession? Well, stock market leads uh, the economy. Historically, what we've seen, if we go back and look at the prior recessions, basically back to 1945, uh, the stock market usually peaks about four months or so prior to the beginning of a recession. So it'll start to turn down before we actually fall in officially into a recession. And recessions generally last uh, a little bit longer of a time. I think 11 months is about the average of a recession. Uh, since 1945. And what you've seen is you've seen the stock market typically bottom on average about six months before the recession ends. So I know people like to wait until they see the all clear recessions over before actually investing. Well, often by then it's too late. And that's why it's important to really focus you know, on the long run. If you wait until you, until we're officially out of a recession, there's two things to keep in mind. One, you get six months before the recession usually ends on average, at least. The second thing is, we don't know a recession's over until long after it's already over. The NBER, which is the, the arbiter that gives us the recession dates here in the U.S., they typically wait 15 months before a recession's over to say, hey, the recession ended. So we might have – and this is the weird thing about you know this recession. It was so abrupt because of the economic stop. We fell into a recession in February. There's a decent chance we're already out of the recession. So, 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 just recession ever. For, so, when we talk about recession, every time I hear this on the news, I always think, do, and does anyone really actually know what technically a recession is, right? What is the definition of a recession? It's two quarters in a row, row of falling. What's got you shaking your head? No, 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 it's not. Uh, that's what the, uh, I'll call that, that's what people like to throw out there. But the NBER, they even have had this on the website. They don't define a recession that way because if that's the case, then all the recessions would have to, you know, have a quarter end date, essentially. And we were fell in one in February. So they, contrary to, you know, popular belief, recession is not defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Instead, the NBER analyzes many uh, economic data points. They look at personal income. 
They look at employment. They look at industrial production. They look at wholesale retail sales, and they look at GDP. So those, I mean, they look at other things, but those are the five main things that they look at. So my definition was accounted for part of it, but not all of it. Right. As, absolutely. And we thought when we think, think about a recession and the ending of a recession, well, the recession's over once we stop growing again. We're, we're not getting back to that 2019 GDP level probably until 2022. I mean, let's just be real. It was such a big hit that we took. But that doesn't mean we're in other words, not going to be in a recession. In other words, we're, we're not going to be producing more goods and services. We're not going to get back to the level we were in January for another couple of years. Hopefully. Unfortunately, that's the case. But things are getting better. I mean, the economic data for the month of May was really strong. The point, the, the issue is, though, it's coming off such a low base, it's hard not to be strong. But that's kind of how recessions end. I mean, once things start to improve, if we see some sort of follow through in the coming month, because it doesn't look like the economy is going to close again. Uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin already said uh, a week ago that they cannot shut down the economy again. So that's not going to happen again. So when, when we think about going forward, we might already be out of the recession. We could have already seen the worst of it, not saying we're going to see great times ahead like 2019 anytime soon as far as economic output goes, but the worst may be over. All right, and then so on to a different subject. Would we expect to see a lot of municipal bankruptcies coming out of this or at least a restructuring of pension plans in the in the coming years uh, through a state, local uh, municipality? We've got about a minute left. Uh, short answer is I do not think you are going to see very much in terms of bankruptcies on municipal bonds. They historically had a very, very low default rate or bankruptcy uh, rate. Uh, and what, what we're seeing is the programs put out by Congress and also the Federal Reserve, they will bail out the state and local governments if it comes to that. <laughs> will there be pension uh, reform down the road? Great. Probably. <laughs> More tax we'll dollars is spread around. Those airport bonds. Oh, I mean, that, I, yeah. Sorry, bad mistake. Shouldn't have overbuilt like that, but don't worry about it. We'll cover you. Yeah. All right. Well, Andy, thank you. Uh, down the road. We're almost out of time. Thank you uh, so much uh, for your time, and um, thanks for being part of the Allworth team. Yeah. We appreciate you every day. This has been Andy Stout, our chief investment officer. Uh, and some of you are like, what happened to David Shower? Because David Shower is still our chief market strategist, still part of Allworth, but. Um, Andy is at the helm of the um, investment committee and does a, a great job uh, helping all of our 80-plus advisors, 80 give or take, um, somewhere in there, um, with um, making sure we're doing the right things for our clients. Anyway, we are out of time, uh, unfortunately. So um, catch us on the podcast uh, if you haven't. Uh, whatever. We'll have, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you next week. This has been All Worth Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.